Hey everybody, welcome back to Lafayette's Interfaith Podcast, Colton Corner. My name is Lisa Green, I'm the Interfaith Fellow, I work for Chaplain Alex Hendrickson, and uh, here I am joined by two very special guests, my parents. Um, I've never done something like this before, an interview this personal, so it's very exciting. Thanks mom and dad for being here. Our pleasure. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So basically we are going to delve into both of your stories. Um, And for anybody who doesn't know, let's just start by um, just saying, what would you say your religious, spiritual faith tradition would be? Well, I was raised in the Reformed Judaism area. And uh, my parents at various points in their lives had been more conservative and uh, kosher and so forth, but by the time <clears throat> I came along, or even any of my older brothers, um, we were not keeping kosher, and so we stayed reform. My whole upbringing really was in the reform synagogue. Let's lean into that. Um, what were your memories like from the synagogue, from Mainline? Uh, Mostly Hebrew school. I remember having to go twice a week, I think, at least at some point, in preparation certainly for the bar mitzvah. There was twice a week, plus there was Hebrew training. I remember learning Hebrew letters, but never understanding what they meant. So I, to this day, can read Hebrew. Uh, I have no idea what it is I'm reading, but I can read it. and I remember Hebrew school, and I remember not loving going to Hebrew school, but I had friends there, and so we made the best of it. Yeah, that sounds really special. Um, I'm curious. I don't think I ever knew that your parents were more observant at one point. Well, I would say their parents were more <laughs> observant. Oh, okay. Uh, and so when they were young, they were raised uh, very conservative, leaning toward orthodox even. My grandfather had studied to be a rabbi in Hungary before he came to this country. So wow. he, 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 he didn't become a rabbi. He was only about 16 when he came over. But he was very happy studying in the yeshiva uh, <laughs> over there um, and didn't really want to come to this country. But his right. father finally convinced him to come over. <laughs> and he had a two-way ticket. He, he made... Uh, my grandfather was the oldest of 10 kids and his father came over first and then brought his kids over one at a time my grandfather being the last one and he wouldn't come until my great grandfather had saved up enough Mm -hmm. to send him a round trip ticket because he wanted to be sure that he could get back to Hungary (laughs) if things didn't look so good in the United States yeah wow so they really they were raised more traditionally and they decided that wasn't for them my parents, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. But what were those experiences like with your parents, you know, with holidays or going to synagogue together, um, or really any way that Judaism impacted your life growing up? Yeah, I mean, other than, you know, having a bar mitzvah was a big deal. Um, and so there was a lot of time spent focused on that. And it, culminated in a, a big day um, with friends and uh, and family uh, 
so I would say that, that was the general focus. Holidays were, I don't remember them being that much of a big deal. Uh, really, Hanukkah, we get some gifts sometimes, um, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big deal. Passover, we would have one night of Passover, and um, and you had your father's Passover story. We had a well. You mean yeah, from his aunt. Yeah, yeah. Sure. His aunt used to have the Passover dinner, and she had a little tiny house, and she wasn't sure she could fit everybody at the Passover table, so she would make everybody come over ahead of time, and she had benches, and everybody had to sit on the bench, and she would draw an outline of their tochases, uh, and uh, and to make sure that there was room for everybody's behind on the, uh, on the benches, but that was their Passover. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> That's a classic. Huh. Um, and you had your, you had, you were confirmed and you had youth group. I did go after uh, Bar Mitzvah. I stayed and I got confirmed. And then I did join a uh, youth group. I went, I mean, I'd say in many ways the Judaism was a, more a part in a way of forming my experience in my the school that I went to. I went to a all-boys school that was on the main line in Philadelphia and uh, it was very waspish and mm-hmm. um, and certainly at the time I was there there was uh, some anti-Semitism present mm-hmm. that I experienced or witnessed and um, uh, and so that and and it really came to the fore around bar mitzvah age. Um, it didn't really show up when I was in elementary school. Everybody was friends with everybody, went to each other's houses. and But then all of a sudden around seventh and eighth grade when, in my opinion, when the parents found out exact for sure who was Jewish, who wasn't, yeah. um, that affected, that it. It affected the, my social life mm. for years really until my junior year pretty much of high school when by then the uh, my the kids in my school started to be able to form their own opinions mm-hmm. and recognize that I wasn't that odd and uh, and so I sort of came back into the social front but in the meantime uh, what Paul is mentioning is that I I joined the synagogue's youth group and that's how I met girls in particular because um, your school was all boys. Well, I don't school know if you was all that. boys. My home was all boys. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, it was good to have some exposure, and um, and so that's that was my social life for uh, for those few years. Um, but yeah, it was. I would say the impact of Judaism was as much felt in the synagogue as it was in in my school. Yeah, that must have been really hard, feeling that rejection. It was, it was, yeah, what was hard was not getting the invitations that I had gotten. Yeah. Uh, that, and and not fully, I, I knew a little bit, I had the advantage in a sense that my brother had gone ahead of me. Uh, he was a couple of years ahead of me in school, and so he kind of warned me yeah. <laughs> that it was coming. Uh, so I had the heads up. It didn't necessarily make it any easier to deal with when it happened, other yeah. than that I I knew it was going to happen. Um, but uh, yeah, it it 
that part of it felt bad, so you felt like you had to find your own people. Right. Um, and that's where, and I had, there were a handful, literally a handful of fellow students in my uh, middle school and high school who were Jewish, but I didn't really bond with them too much. Um, and I'm not sure why that is exactly, but uh, I bonded more, in fact, ultimately with the Catholic students right. and with the Catholic teachers. Um, and I, I always attributed that to the common kind of home existence where mm. education and family were most important. Over status. In right. both Catholic homes and in Jewish homes. Uh, and neither of us w were particularly welcome yeah. in the WASP world. Mm -hmm. So um, so there was uh, an ability to bond with, with that group. And I tended to, they became some of my best friends, both the students and teachers, ultimately. And you're still friends with some of them now. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's really powerful. Yeah, I feel like... Jews and Catholics really do have a common bond um, still to this day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, though. And But so in your later years of high school, people who had previously shunned you were coming back around. Yeah, I was back on the list. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was getting invited to parties. and um, So, yeah, I came back, but still... Uh, the. The girls that I dated were from youth group mostly, um, but but yeah, I was uh, back. And, and, but a big part of the reason I was able to come back was because I was uh, into sports, mm. uh, especially at an all boys school in the '60s and '70s. Um, if you weren't into sports, you were nothing. Yeah. And so fortunately for me, I was into sports and I was decent at it and uh, enough so that I, I made it into those groups. I had friends who were not so lucky and they were more artistic, were, were just uh, not athletic. Uh, and some of them had very traumatic experiences and ultimately mm -hmm. some, some, you know, very sad endings. Yeah. Yeah, that must have been really hard. Um, yeah, well, it was, again, particularly hard for them, and yeah. I, I, I'd probably be lying if I said that I was overly aware of their problems yeah. at the time. I kind of learned uh, in, not in a timely fashion mm -hmm. uh, about some of the issues that, that they felt. Yeah, that makes sense, but you know, you were still so young, it would have been hard to be aware of everything. Yeah, well, I had my own issues to deal with. Sure. And uh, as, as anybody that age, but in, and certainly anybody who is in a minority, we didn't, you know, one of the things I regretted later in life was that I never really became friendly with anybody of color. And mm -hmm. that was partially because they just weren't there or those few that made it to the school didn't last long mm. because as bad as it was for me it must have been that much worse for them for them yeah um and so they would stay for a while and then uh, disappear and they would pretty much hang to themselves um but it wasn't until really uh much later in my life that i was able to become friendly with people of color and it is 
definitely broadened my experience and my uh, enjoyment of people. Yeah, that's really powerful. Right, and I mean, diversity on the main line is such a problem. Um, I mean, that really, that was true in my high school experience 50 years later. Um, Yeah, hmm. Well, so what was it like making that transition to, you know, feeling so on the outs, maybe starting to um, feel a little more accepted through sports? What was that, that kind of dual existence like with your youth group community and feeling that acceptance there? I, I think it's just something that I had grown used to. I, yeah. I don't think I really... I don't think I felt like I was putting anything on in one group or another that, that wasn't me. It just was different sides of me mm-hmm. um, that I was able to express. Uh, I didn't certainly talk about any of my Jewish experiences with sure. my Gentile friends, really, other than the Catholics. I, I could talk to about it, um, but uh, uh, and I probably didn't talk much about sports with my Jewish crowd. Yeah, uh, makes so, sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it's just something that, in a way, you become a little bit numb to, mm. uh, and you just—it's just a part of living. As I got older, and the anti-Semitism manifests itself in different ways, like not getting into a certain country club. Yeah. Um, you know, that that is difficult, uh, has, has, was difficult, is difficult to reconcile. In today's world, it still exists. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's something that hasn't really gone away. It's maybe gotten a little better, but uh, still there, especially in suburban Philadelphia. Um, I think, from what I understand, more so than even many other suburban uh, areas around the country. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Well, was there a major shift for you, though, in terms of feelings of belonging, but also like your own beliefs and thought process going from high school to college? What I remember most in relation to Judaism and and my experiences was that in college I did take the time to be more analytical about what had happened. And I wrote uh, certainly at least one paper, maybe more, but certainly one that I remember uh, about the experience and about the kinship between the Catholic students and the Jewish students. And... um, uh, and the faculty, and um, again, kind of investigating that, or at least thinking about it more, mm. what the reasons for that was. So, it, it, going to college, first of all, I was at a college where it was not all boys, uh, it was, and it was not uh, all Gentiles. Um, so, it, it was less of an issue, I think, or at least I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the anti-Semitism in college like I did in in high school. Hmm. Um, I think everybody was, and especially in that time, it was mid seventies. It was, uh, you know, it was a time when people were focused on things like uh, war and drugs and 
they weren't so focused on religion. In fact, there was probably a movement away from religion as a as a focus. Yeah, uh, like organized religion. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think your beliefs changed at all? Like your spiritual side? I don't think that fundamentally I've changed. I can't, I can't remember a time when I didn't have the same kind of notion that I've always... I think that I've, I've never been a big believer in the ritual of religion uh, for myself, for Judaism, for myself. I've grown to appreciate and understand the value of ritual for other people in Judaism and in Catholicism, really in, in, in any uh, uh, Baptist uh, <clears throat> for anybody, I understand the value that it, in particular, for many people, it gives them something to really look forward to after this life. Um, for me, I've pretty much stayed in the idea that my idea of spirituality was treating people well and, um, and trying to do good in the world and to have people like you and um, to be able to, to help people. And um, I always talk about my motto, which I wrote for the first time <clears throat> when I was applying to college. And my mantra then and to this day is to affect as many people as possible in a positive way. That's, that's my goal, that in a way is my religion. And, and to me, the only reason I do believe in, not the only reason, but the, the only manifestation that I really believe in, in terms of a higher being, is I find in nature. And uh, I, it, <clears throat> I've studied the science, and I understand all the science, but I... I find myself having to believe that there's there's someone who figured out somebody, some being, some something that was able to figure all that out so that in fact it very naturally happened that we got to where we are today scientifically, biologically, it's evolutionarily. I believe in all the science. I just think that there was something before the Big Bang <clears throat> and somebody had this notion that we're going to have a Big Bang <laughs> and, um, and we did and everything has developed since then so when I see trees and animals and uh, kind acts um, I, that's as close to a belief in a, a you know, religious a higher power power than that I come to I don't <clears throat> get much from the ritual mm. side of religion I don't particularly get much from going to synagogue um, so as you know uh, historically when uh, the high holidays come around if you were to give me a choice <laughs> I would much rather just go to a park yeah. and walk and sit um, <clears throat> than to sit in a synagogue it makes sense. I, I'm really I'm curious about that. And I don't know how I've never asked you this before, but 
do you remember the first time that thought occurred to you of you know there must be something out there this is too beautiful this is too perfect well and I'm not sure I thought about it before but as I'm thinking about it, it there's a big part of that that probably came from my father really yeah um, he was uh, uh, on the holidays you asked about the holidays before and I hadn't thought about this part of it it seemed that on the high holidays in particular he and I would take long walks in on in those days what was undeveloped land wow. um, and uh, uh, and I would say that that association of walking in nature and and high holidays uh, probably started not probably it definitely started there <clears throat> yeah I never knew that I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Um, wow, so he influenced your spirituality a little bit. He did, yeah. Huh. I would say uh, he did. Uh, my mother did in certain ways. Um, there was a woman who helped my parents raise us, my, my two older brothers and, and me, um, but mostly me. And she affected my sense of right and wrong probably more than anybody. How <clears throat> so? Um, she just had a very, a very um, clear moral compass <laughs> that, that uh, how you behave and how you talk to people. Uh, she was by, uh, by, you know, society standards, she was uneducated. Um, but she read her Bible every day, uh, and um, and she was able to treat me in a way where there was a certain amount of strictness and accountability mm-hmm. that she taught me very early, and trust because she would I might do something that I might not be thrilled to have my parents know about, and she would always discover it. <laughs> and never tell my parents, but she would let me know for sure that it was not something that I should be doing. Um, no uncertain terms. So, so I learned a lot of my morality, I would say, and and sense of right and wrong, really from her. Kathy was her name, wow. and uh, and she was a very important part of my life. Yeah, yeah she sounds so influential and like. She really molded you. She's almost like a second mother. Yeah, in some ways a first mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. well, wow. Um, and do you think, do you still think about her? Often. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does she come up in your mind these days? Um, you think about things she said or how she made you feel yeah I think it's more just a, uh, that uh, feeling of uh, warmth and trust and uh, I had um, I had ultimate faith in her mm. and she had faith in me and wow. that was uh, I didn't get that from every everywhere Right. But I got it from it's her special. for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you found more of that later in life? Um, <clears throat> I found it in my wife. Yeah. Um, and that is going to be enough. <laughs> well, I want to I want to talk to your wife in a second. Um, but I just want to touch on one more thing you said. You mentioned your mother influencing your spirituality. Um, how did that come into play? Yeah, she I probably in terms of how to treat people, I think. Mm-hmm. She, my mother was somebody who would meet someone on the street and within 90 seconds they were best friends <laughs> and uh, she had the ability she was always smiling um, she listened <laughs> to people and she seemed to care um, and uh, and so I think again my my interest in being liked and 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 being good to people, treating mm-hmm. people well, uh, probably came a lot from her. That makes a lot of sense. I would watch how she interacted with random people, and it went from waiters to people mowing the lawn to uh, people in the supermarket, um, and uh, it was a very level way that she had about her and I've tried to emulate that Uh, even people she was a very competitive golfer yeah very competitive but she she, even the people that she beat or people that she lost to uh, loved her and and that was an interesting way to be and and I think uh, you know that had an impact on me Absolutely. Yeah, that must have been really special seeing that and wanting to... And I think they, my father, in in some way, I think, although we've, we've done it in very different ways, he was driven by wanting to help people. Mm. And my grandfather certainly was. Yeah. Uh, he was an important part of that. I, mm. I would literally see him, people come up to him on the boardwalk uh, and thank him for what uh, he did for them 50 years ago Um, and it was sort of a steady stream of people uh, that that, uh, would do that and he he was uh, very selfless in that sense and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, always looking to figure out how to help people he helped a lot of our family members uh, extended family members and he helped a lot of people to own their own homes uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and live uh, good lives and, and people always remembered it and he didn't always, he was a banker but he was a different kind of banker right. and um, uh, he would put a lot more faith in one of the, the three C's of lending, <laughs> collateral, cash flow and character. Uh, and the, the today, uh, or, or it used to be that they'd say, well, if you could find any two of the three in somebody, it's okay to lend them money. 
but for him, the only one that really mattered was character, and he was able to overlook a lot of other things if he found somebody of character. Wow. Yeah, that's so powerful. And that really, I think, resonates with, you know, where you've gone in your life and your your different career paths, you know, even the intellectual restlessness, um, just this idea of finding new ways to help people. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Know, I've spent my life trying to affect as many people as possible in a positive way. And yeah. It's, and it's come out in many different colors, but... Uh, but it still drives me. Right, right. And I think that all comes back to that spirituality component. Um, And really that brings me to why I'm interviewing you together, uh, which so far, um, and uh, we're about to, we're about to talk to mom. Hi. (laughs) Um, Why I wanted to interview you together, um, because I think it's really interesting that, you know, you both, are Jewish, but you have very vastly different beliefs. Um, and Dad, thank you so much for sharing about your early life, and I'm excited to come back to how that manifested later on. Um, but I want to talk to you, Mom, about how your beliefs evolved, kind of in a similar way. Um, but how would you describe maybe? Your original, what your original label would have been, and what you would call your religion, spirituality, faith label now. Sure. Do we need to move this? Or it's fine where it is. Okay. It's all. Or I should just talk louder. Uh, I mean, we could move it closer here. Okay. okay. Um, well, I was just thinking about this. Um, so, from the time I was very young, we belonged to this synagogue that was this um, grand large synagogue in the community, very respected, had a respected rabbi and canner. And I remember from the high holidays, from the time I was very young, my mother would say, you know, we have to get new clothes for the high holidays. Mm-hmm. And uh, my synagogue was Har Zion Temple, and it had many different services going on, but one of them was in the main temple and then another one was upstairs in this grand auditorium called the Silk Auditorium. And they always had visiting rabbis and canners for the holidays. And we would usually open our home to somebody, one of the visiting clergy, um, and they would eat dinner with us and they would uh, go back, walk back to the synagogue at night and then the next morning. And it was, it was a very big deal. And we were conservative. And, um, you know, so always went to services every week. I went to junior congregation, and I loved it because we had a great leader, and my friends were all there, so that was a lot of fun. And, um, and then I went to Camp Ramah two summers, the one summer going into fourth grade and the summer going into sixth grade. <laughs> and then in sixth grade, from sixth to twelfth grade, I went to a Hebrew day school, um, but um, the, I don't think that school was very good. Um, I thought it was weak academically, mm-hmm. and I realized that religiously I didn't care very much for the <laughs> subjects. And the main reason I went there was I was given a choice to either go there or to go to Girls High, the public school in Philadelphia that I would have to take maybe two buses to or something. Oh. So clearly I took the, the private school way out. 
but I didn't, I guess I never really felt, other than the holidays, the rituals to the holidays, I never really felt that much of a connection on my own. I kind of picked up my parents' connections. They were always there at the synagogue um, doing things and study group and whatever. Um, but throughout my high school, I really didn't feel that connected. Um, I just went along. Um, and uh, then college, I mean, I lived at home when I was, went to college. Yeah. So still continued, went to things. Uh, I wasn't forced to go, but went to things that I knew would make them happy. Yeah. Um, Not as much for you. No, yeah. I really, I don't ever remember feeling uh, such an embrace uh, or a strong connection. Just kind of, it's just kind of what we do. Well, but you felt it from them. I felt it from them, right. Yeah. Um, Although at that point, my family, so I had three sisters, and my family kind of was splintered. So when my, um, my sister didn't, uh, end up going to the same Hebrew day school I went to. She went to one that was more religious. So that part of the, she was got very excited about the more religious school. And then my two oldest sisters went spent summers in Israel and actually got opposite the opposite feelings. My oldest one, it made her feel more religious. And my uh, my next oldest one, she she was a feminist. She is a feminist. And felt saw things in um, in the synagogue there. I guess where they were taken, where women were separated, and other things. And she just thought that was terrible. So she became less religious. So here we were. We were kind of like two sisters who became more religious. Um, me, who was kind of middle of the road with my parents, but less so. And then my other sister, who became really almost non-religious. Um, so we were kind of splintered, and I could see, you know, no one really had, I guess the religious ones had the most passion. My parents, I also feel like, just did it because that was what they do. Well, it was a social thing, It was I a think. social thing, yeah, but... I, um, a communal thing. Yeah. Um, so we were all kind of sort of going our own way, sort of. Maybe not my parents so much. Um, so yeah so I did things for my parents and then I was a mother of young children and I had a family member who would say you know oh it's um, Sukkot so you have to leave your you have to make your help let your children stay home because it's this minor holiday that minor holiday I don't know minor major um, minor to you that's why right. it matters and, uh, and I was afraid you know I the people who offered that, I didn't. I was never good at standing up for myself, so I either did keep them out, or I just deflected whatever they were saying and changed the subject, and I would do whatever I wanted to do. So you didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel empowered, and I felt, yeah, I just, uh, right, I was afraid to act on my own. But I want to go back for a second, because I think about religion and faith and spirituality in an ideal world being vehicles of empowerment for you. And when I think about times in your life when you were empowered, I would love to talk about your writing career and covering sports in in high school and college right after. I feel like that that was a time you felt empowered. 
Um, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. And when I was in high school, somebody gave me the idea to use our school letterhead. And so I used to write to the... I was a sports editor and I was the main editor. Um, and so I would write to teams and I'd say, can I interview? I picked certain players and I... And it was amazing that, you know, the uh, cachet that you had when you used the letterhead. Um, and maybe because it was a Hebrew day school and somebody looked at it and thought, oh, you know... We don't want to offend anybody. Let her do whatever she wants. So I got these great interviews with um, athletes when I was in 10th, 11th, 12th grade. And that was a lot of fun. That was that really felt great. Um, and then, yeah, in college, I, um, I worked at night. Uh, so I went to school during the day, and I worked at night for uh, writing high school sports for a newspaper in New Jersey. And that was great. Um, and then I ended up working for the Philadelphia Eagles when I got out of college for two years in public relations, and it was very stressful, but it was also wonderful. So, um, so yeah, I did feel empowered at work and doing, yeah, doing what I loved, which was always sports. So maybe sports was my religion. I was gonna say, yeah, you know, in my mind, religion, faith, spirituality—they are all just what gives life meaning to you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what makes you want to get out of bed sure. in the morning yeah yeah do you think maybe sports still could be that for you in a way sure sure you know, what what influenced what got you started loving sports yeah well my dad had four girls so we were some of them were like his sons <laughs> two of them were like his sons and I used to he used to sit down in front of the tv with a sandwich and watch a baseball game on a Saturday afternoon, and so I would sit next to him and watch. Saturday afternoon, really? Well, they weren't. They weren't orthodox. They watched TV. They just didn't. Well, they didn't. They became maybe more observing because for a while there, they didn't watch TV. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, uh, and then we used to during the summers. We used to listen to if, it, if they were home games. We used to listen on the radio to the baseball. And. Um, yeah, it was... And what do, what do you love about it? What makes it connect for you? Uh, um, when our teams are doing well, it's very gratifying. And when they're not, I have to hide. <laughs> because nobody wants to hear about teams that aren't doing well. I don't know. But don't um, you think, and maybe this is me reading into it, but to me, if we're comparing sports to religion... It feels like a communal ritualistic thing also. You're right. You're right. That's what we all do together. You're right. And maybe you're right. And even if you're watching alone, it becomes then a topic of conversation when you see people who you know Mm -hmm. also love Mm -hmm. that like you do. Yeah. Yeah. Locally and then on a national scale. Right. I I watch uh, sports TV every day. It's a method, you know, to connect with people. Mm -hmm. You're right. Yeah, kind of, I think, like Judaism was for your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And that must be, and so that started when you were really young, and, you know, it's still such an important thing to you. It's true. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really, it's a... It's a good analogy. I think so. It's a Mm -hmm. big, I think for some people, you know, kind of like what Dad was saying, for him, it's nature. You know, and you have this part of your life that really defines you and brings out your spirituality in a way maybe you wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. yeah i I think that's really cool but then you were talking about how 
how your spirituality and beliefs changed around having kids and that you felt you know that you it wasn't your choice a lot of times how you would raise them around that and that made you maybe less inclined towards religion mm-hmm. you think that's right yeah that's right. dad did you feel similarly um i'm not sure i follow but uh, like did having kids change your relationship to judaism at all oh mm, <laughs> i don't remember it changing my view um i thought I felt it was important for them to at least get the you know very basics of what the religion was about, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that i <clears throat> i didn't I didn't necessarily care any more about religion uh, for them than I did for myself mm-hmm. um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But what about your spiritual beliefs? Do you think having kids and maybe getting into that middle part of your life, you know, getting married, career advancements, do you think that changed your internal beliefs and relationship with yourself at all? Dad, you were saying not your, your main core belief never really changed, but do you think it strengthened? Well, yeah, in in a way, uh, since having kids is the biggest part of nature, uh, and the the miracle of ha- having healthy children in particular, but but any any uh, birth is a, an extension of that religious sort of or spiritual feeling uh, that there's somebody. Uh, that's that's figured out how to how to do this. It's a, it's an amazing process, just as I find all nature to be amazing in so many ways. Um, so it, it strengthened it. I I was thinking just in I don't know if you want to go here, but sure. Uh, in listening to Paula, the, the biggest contrast is is the milieus in which we found ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I was raised in a reform synagogue by reform parents uh, and in a Gentile uh, boys' school. Right. Paula, if you, if you could pick an opposite to <laughs> pretty much any part of that. Yeah. Um, your experience was very cloistered around Judaism. Yeah. And every part of your life was camp and school and your parents and synagogue and uh, every, every part of that. You even know what the Hebrew letters mean, uh, which I Do never you? learned. What Hebrew letters? <laughs> All Hebrew letters. Oh. I'm saying, you know, you know Hebrew. I mean, you yeah. understand, well, more than I do, which is not a high bar. But, um, but the point is that you, you could have <laughs> easily... Um, and uh, and there was no way that I was going to do that. No, they didn't even bother to teach that in my Hebrew school. Well, all, that, all that mattered was that you could read the letters. Well, I read, I wrote Hebrew compositions in my Hebrew yeah, class. Yeah, see, me too. I could have never done anything. I, I didn't. It was writing Chinese. It might have been. 
could have been anything. Just yeah. it was just stick figures uh, that had no meaning. So, um, but anyway, I just in terms of how it shaped us. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty stark difference. It's so stark. I really the fact that we get along is amazing. <laughs> well, that's a great transition, actually. Yeah, because that's the other part of why I wanted to interview. Because I think certainly your beliefs are so different, but then also, right, your histories and your stories couldn't be more different. Um, was that important to you? Do you think that was in consideration when you were looking for a partner? You you were looking for someone. Who was Jewish? Who maybe who was Catholic? Who would understand it? I don't know. Did that play into your mind at all? Yeah, in many ways, it was the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I, I really, certainly, at a certain point in my life, I, I, I felt pretty strongly that I would be best served by somebody who wasn't Jewish. Yeah. Um, but then I met Paula, and you know, <laughs> what could I do? And the rest is history. Yeah. 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 Mom, was that a thing for you? You were looking for someone Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I was. Not always. <laughs> I was, and I found him. There you go. Yeah. I don't know if we want to go there. <laughs> but anyway, when you were first getting to know each other, did this come up at all? No. no. No, other than that she didn't believe that I was anything that I said I was because she had been at Harzion and I said I had been at Harzion but she didn't know me and she knew everybody at Harzion so she didn't even believe that I had been there so that's how it came she up. She thought you were a fake Jew. But, yeah, but yeah. Uh, eventually, I, I think she believed me eventually. Yeah. You wore her down. Well, yeah. the thing was I was not religious so it, it wasn't like we were... Opposites. I wasn't. I'd be. I'd really be. But isn't that interesting that you had these opposite upbringings? Mm-hmm. But and now I would tell you you have opposite beliefs, because I think Dad maybe believes in the higher power, and you maybe believe more in ritual and community. Yeah, but I mean, it really doesn't matter because it doesn't. It's just what we feel. It's not necessarily what we do more than you know it's lovely that he wants to take a walk in nature I'm happy to take a walk with him and um, he'll go with you to services on her services and I just like the yeah the ritual I guess of going right because um, well, it's it's your connection to your parents maybe. sure and the music you know the prayers um, yeah but I you know over time I've become less and less religious do any prayers resonate with you more than others? Any songs you Everything really connect to? Everything that you've to? ever sung. Everything that you've that's, ever sung. That's very sweet. Mm-hmm. We, we could talk about me for a minute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which this show is, you know, not necessarily known for. Um, but I guess that's interesting because you really, you kind of had, you both were married before, which, again, we don't have to talk about. But you had two generations of raising kids and you know i i was raised going to jewish day school which is very different um do you think you felt differently about religion and spirituality with me than with your first round well you went to jewish day school until 
sixth grade. Right, but that was longer yeah. than anybody yeah. else. Right. Um, I think it was because I wanted it. I personally wanted it just to give you the background so that so that we didn't have to teach it. Um, um, and also because I wanted uh, the other kids to go, but I wasn't in a position to send them. Yeah. So I could send you, we could send you. And, and again, it would give you the background and you wouldn't have to go to Hebrew school, which we never liked the idea of, you know, kids having to go on Sunday and, you know, ruin weekend plans or something. Um, and after school, so this was kind of perfect thing. It was <coughs> giving you presumably a good academic education and then provide that Jewish piece so you would, you would get that education and you wouldn't have to be, we wouldn't have to be inconvenienced by the Hebrew school schedule. Am I allowed to ask a question? Yeah. Do you think it was that piece, the Jewish education piece for Lisa was more, was for you or for your parents? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was for me. Yeah? It was for me, okay. yeah. I don't think they, they wouldn't have cared. They wouldn't have cared. Well, you don't think? The, I think they cared about her being raised in a Jewish household. Sure, and if I didn't do Hebrew school, I think it would have been sad. Right. But my, you know, I think my other sister didn't. They didn't go to Hebrew school. Her, her kids. So um, I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I really don't think so. When you say it was for This is you. why Lisa is the interviewer and not... No, I love it. No, of course. You ask as many questions as you want. <laughs> um, no, I... That's a very interesting point. When you say it was for you, you mean it was for you... Maybe for you to connect more yourself? No, or because no. that's what you wanted for me? That's what I wanted for you. Yeah. And again, to have the Jewish education so we wouldn't have to provide it and... <laughs> And that, so you wouldn't have to go to Hebrew school. That was what I was thinking. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and then I grew up, and certainly I'll talk more about this at the end of the semester. I'll be interviewed, um, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. But I sang in High Holiday Teen Choir, and you're saying those songs mm-hmm. resonated with you. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Which ones did you like? Ah. Uh, Misha Bera and um, I can't. Hallelujah. Think. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And a lot of other ones. Ones yeah. that were singing while they were walking around with the, doing the Torah procession. <laughs> yeah, all of them. Yeah. Well, more to come on that in a couple months. Um, get excited. But I guess then the other thing I'm thinking about um, how a life of, you know, less and less interest in religion transition to becoming a chaplain you know one of the most religious spiritual things you can do um sure more so spiritual i think and i got my i my role models for that were my sister lisa who even when she was in maybe when she was in middle school she she would do many things that were um uh reaching out to to help the community. She, every week she would go visit this one woman. She was a stroke victim, she was blind. She had an ordinary personality. 
And she would come home every week and tell us how difficult it was to be with her. Yet every single week she would go spend Saturday afternoon hours with her because she had no one else. Wow. That was just one example. There were many others with her. And also my mother is a lot like dad's mom. Um, she was always caring for everybody else. She would always think about the downtrodden and say, this person lost their job, let's take them out to lunch. And what can we do for this person? Or Send a meal over. Send a meal. She would organize the Shiva meals when there was a death. She was always giving clothes to um, organizations. Um, yeah, she was always thinking of everybody. So it was those two were my role models for wanting to do something to that effect. And, um, and so every day, I actually, they're with me. Um, it's beautiful. Just uh, helping me be my best. Well, I even mean, how did you become interested in and discover chaplaincy? It was uh, <laughs> uh, Dad's friend, Ted Christopher, who was uh, head of emergency medicine at Jefferson Medical Center, Thomas Jefferson Medical University. Um, I was asking him what I should do after I had gotten a master's in bioethics. Well, but how did you get to bioethics? Uh, let's get to that. Let's get to that. Um, well, actually, um, I knew I wanted to go back to school. It was around 2008, 2009. Um, Why did you want to go back to school? Because the world was passing me by. I was in public relations for 25 years, but I would have had to go back to school for that. That's when social media was really taking hold and I didn't really know much about that so I knew I would either have to do it for my f- existing field or it was an opportunity to do something new. First I thought I wanted to go to law school um, and even went as far as did a little tutoring, took a little tutoring and took the LSATs once and it was, uh, thank goodness that didn't work out. <laughs> it's kind of a disaster. Uh, but then I found a field that I had always heard about before that sounded really great and you didn't need a test because I was never a really good test taker and uh, it was uh, bioethics and I went to Penn and I did the program, the master's program and it was wonderful but then everyone else in the program was doing it to enhance what they were already uh, doing as a career, you know, doctors, nurses, med students, law students, lawyers they were doing it to be able to look through a different lens when they were with their patients, with their clients, look through an ethical lens. I was doing it to find a new career, but then I came to understand that, at, at least at that point, you couldn't just make a career out of bioethics. I think you probably can now. Um, so I got my degree and I didn't, had no idea what to do with it. And so uh, our friend pointed me to, um, to chaplaincy and Hospitals have a program called clinical pastoral education in which they teach you how to be a chaplain. So many chaplains are theologically trained, but um, I was hospital trained, and I went to three different hospitals where I was trained um, in CPE, and then spent years volunteering at Penn, and now volunteering at my current hospital. Um, and non-religious. Not right. It's non-denominational. Well, but you have a prayer book. I have a prayer book. I created my own prayer book, so I um, I collected my own prayers over the years and have this 
little pocket-sized prayer book. And um, so I am. I do know how to um, to support patients of most religions, um, and and think I do a, a pretty good job at it. But most people really just want to talk. Um, you know, they're they're alone. They feel isolated. It's very isolating as a patient. Um, they're sad. They're in pain. They just want to talk to somebody, and they just want to feel heard. And so that's why we're there as chaplains. And, and uh, as I tell them, um, it's really the greatest honor of my life to be able to serve them and serve their families. So It's powerful. Yeah. Do you think that's changed your connection to your own spirituality at all? Um, I don't really know. I don't really know. Um, I guess I just want to do more of it and provide self-care programs for our staff, our nurses and our attendings and residents. Um, so kind of to spread, to spread the support. Well, because how do you feel when you do something like self-care Wednesday, when you get through to someone, when you have an experience like you did with Autumn, you know? Sure. Which you could talk about that if you want, or any, any significant experiences sure um yeah i mean obviously it's tremendously gratifying um and humbling more than anything else it's humbling um but um yeah i mean i i really it's it's a great high and it's i always say it's my self-care or one of the things that that are my self-care um yeah That's great. Yeah. Well, so flash forward to the present. Um, And I think about, you know, you mentioned your mother and your sister as the two pillars in your life who've gotten you here. And your father. And your father. Right. Can't forget him. Yeah. Talk about him a little. Um, I don't know. He was always my mentor in life because he always, by example, because he was um, was just a, a wonderful man. Um, and father, um, and you know, well, righteous man like to you know always do what's right. Ben um, uh, was a wonderful husband, father, grandfather, so a great role model for me. I just uh, highlighted the other two because they really. I'm just walking the same path they walked. So, yeah. um, but you have your three pillars there. And I think about how you had these times of loss. And I'm wondering about how, what got you through those times. And if you, if spiritual connection was a facet of that, if that contributed to your time as a chaplain. Um, it definitely contributed or, or helped um, me do my work better because I can relate more with what people are going through in terms of their losses. Um, I don't, I wish I could say if I knew if it helped me get through, I'm still trying to get through, so I don't really know. I don't know what's getting me through. I think you have to just, life goes on. Life goes on. Well, what gets you out of bed in the morning? That's funny because that's what they ask other people. Yeah. Not what gets you out of bed, but what yeah, gets you through. Um, just to do the work that I do, just to do the what work. What gives that life I do. meaning for you? Right, doing the work that I do and my family. Yeah, and sports. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, but that's 
That makes that's a lot really, of sense. That's really it. Still trying to figure out that secret to getting, you know, getting yeah. past it. Yeah. No, and I think that's that'll be a thing the rest of our lives. Well, you know? and I tell people who have had a loss, especially the hardest kind of loss. I tell moms who have lost a, ch- a baby, um, who have had a baby uh, prematurely and lost the baby. Um, that uh, you know, there's no manual to tell you how to get through, and there's no time frame, and you can't ever let somebody tell you, "Come on, it's you know, it's already a year. Get over right. it." Or there's no such thing as that. And if somebody tries to tell you that, they're dumb. Um, they're insensitive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so there is no time frame, and you just have to figure it out on your own. And um, but to know that those people are in your heart and, and that you're carrying out their legacy every well, day. Well, it's like Coco, right? Sure. sure. <laughs> if you've ever seen the, the uh, Pixar movie Coco, <coughs> the idea there is that people who have died stay alive through talking about their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I share my mom's grandmother name is Coco Mm -hmm. inspired by that movie and the lesson behind it Mm -hmm. um so I guess I I would almost raise the same question to dad of like have there been challenging moments in your life where you've been anchored by those core beliefs we were talking about before well there's certainly been challenging times in my life (laughs) that part I'm with you on um where your spirituality and that connection has played a role. I mean, the closest, as I'm thinking about it, I, I don't know, know what got me through in many respects, but, um, uh, well, uh, some of the most challenging times, certainly, uh, Paula has gotten me through. Um, and... And I would say the, the spiritual connection is feeling that there was some force that brought us together um, yeah. and, uh, and, wow. uh, and allowed me to benefit from, <laughs> from that strength and support. Uh, as far as my own beliefs, other than discovering and reinforcing the idea that at least I was doing what I could to help myself and to help my kids and to help the world. Uh, It was just that I felt there wasn't anything more I could do. And so I had to just hope that that was enough. so far, so good. Yeah, that's that's really cool. What do you think about that, Mom, that a higher power brought you together? It's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it's true. It's true. Who would have thought? We live maybe five minutes apart from each other. Yeah. And who would have thought that? And you could have met a million different times, but it was saved for when you needed yeah, it. Yeah, or most. never met. Oh, that's, that's really sad. That's very sad. Yeah. yeah. No, that's beautiful, and that's so true. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. So you do believe in a higher <laughs> I believe in faith. <laughs> I don't know what I believe. Yeah. Well, that's okay. You can be figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. 
and uh wow i have two other thoughts um and the one you know and thinking about the course of your life and spirituality and religion the roles those have played um bringing it back to you know this podcast is a lafayette college sponsored activity um i'm wondering about what your experience with lafayette and religion has been well um the hillel has been amazing and you've played a role in hillel since even before you started school <laughs> a little um, bit because you were you were watching you were in services virtually and yeah. so i would sit with you and and see what was that was like and I think that they have done a tremendous job from the time you came in. Yeah. You were hooked. I was hooked. You thought it was great. It's true. Um, the advisor, Ethan, is amazing. And, yeah. You know, other level committed, high, higher level committed. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, what it's done for you and what you've done for them, um, you know, they, they gave you the platform to do anything you wanted, to carve out roles and to do anything you wanted, and you took it and ran with it and um, ended up being probably the best leader they've ever had. Oh, thanks. I don't know about that. Um, and, <laughs> um, and running services, you know. And you've come to services a couple times. We've come several times. That's what made me think to ask. And uh, the services are just um, beautiful. And I always wanted you to be my my clergy person, <laughs> my spiritual advisor. Your rabbi. Um, yeah, um, because you run services better than anyone I've ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. You know, at a moment's notice, you can put together a beautiful service. Um, you know, the uh, the former leaders and alum have compliment, given you the highest compliments, um, and it, it's such a moment of pride for your parents. Thanks. to watch you, to witness you, and also to hear people talk about you and compliment you in the ways that they have. And um, so I give Lafayette so much uh, credit for having this um, history of this wonderful Hillel and uh, for, for trusting in you to just um, do what you wanted with it, which was um, you did beautiful work with the jobs that you were given and created once you were finished leading then you created a position for yourself as advisor <laughs> yeah. and uh and they they knew what they had they saw what they had in you and they uh and they were lucky that they did um and you'll never be forgotten never thanks that's really sweet yeah uh, on on that i would just add that it, it gave you a forum to develop your leadership skills, which mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Sure. It could have been anything, but that's what uh, you chose, and uh, it worked out great that way. Um, and your public speaking uh, abilities and all, a lot of strengths that you have were cultivated there and strengthened. The um, other thing that occurs when you ask about Lafayette. Lafayette is a, uh, it's not a huge community, but it's a bigger community than your high school, certainly. Small but mighty. Yeah, there you go. I yeah. know parts. Um, but 
the Hillel experience, you you know, you found a community within the community that I think allowed you to feel yeah. that you belonged. Well, I'm really asking though, because I will definitely talk about that when I'm interviewed, but I'm asking about your experience when you've come to services. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, for me, uh, they meet my main criteria for uh, what a good, good service should be. I should be able to understand most of it, which I can, okay. because it's mostly in English. Yeah. Uh, and they're short. <laughs> they're uh, short. Those two things, you know, those made those, uh, and your, <laughs> your uh, leadership and, and the meaning that you brought to even the English pieces, um, you know, made certainly they were good experiences. Uh, the services uh, as good as any or better than any service that I've been to in terms of you know feeling like a, a good use of time <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really sweet I promise I didn't just do this to stroke my own ego um, but I do really appreciate it I'm Lafayette though is one of many recent things in your life I think and not even just recent just over the course of your life that has been something that's brought in another expression of religion or spirituality. And the one that crossed my mind for dad is Mel Brooks. <laughs> uh, just that you would say when people would ask you, you know, what Jewish figure has influenced your life most? Yeah, well, and that's it, fairly true, but it, it's, it really, what it represents in, in real life is that my sense of Judaism is much more a cultural thing yeah. than a religious thing. But what uh, has gone into that cultural understanding? It's mostly humor. Yeah. Uh, and uh, well, mostly humor. <laughs> uh, I'd say I, I, for whatever reason, I relate most to the Jewish comedians and some of the old, old-time Jewish comedians who speak with Yiddish accents and... <laughs> I never knew Yiddish or knew yeah. anything about it, but for some reason that resonates. Uh, it feels like you, and, and it and it makes to me it makes me Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the the fact that I appreciate that humor, right? In a way, is is what allows me to easily identify myself as Jewish. It's that connection. There's not a lot of other things that that do that for me. That I would say, well, yeah, I was born Jewish. But um, if I'm, you know, being real, uh, yeah, that's what I identify with. That's your connector. Yeah. 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 No, that makes a lot of sense, and that's it's a shared ancestral kind of bond, you know. And are there Jewish foods or other cultural elements that make you feel that connection? Uh, you know. Jewish food so much, Hungarian foods. Yeah. <laughs> but my other part of my cultural background, um, three of my four grandparents having been born in Hungary. Uh, but I, yeah, it's. Um, I think that there's something about humor and, and Jews, I'm not the first one to think of it, uh, that has gotten us through it's a coping mechanism uh, a lot of very uh, trying times uh, to put it to understate it quite a bit um, including in the current times yeah um, so 
so it is a, it is an identifier. There's right. A, no question about it. And it's in in the humor community, it's outsized. I mean, it's it's so much more represented than the percentage of the population. Right. Yeah. Uh, the percentage of Jewish comedians is. I don't know the statistics, but um, I think it's significant. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got to be. significantly more than, higher percentage than the population at large. Yeah. Um, and there's something to that. There's something Jewish. There's something cultural to that. So what comedians have resonated most with you? Well, you mentioned Mel Brooks, <laughs> Jackie Mason, yeah. um, Carl Reiner. Uh, his... Uh, Seinfeld? Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, sure. Larry David. Um, there's, uh, going back to Shecky Green and, and uh, um, David Brenner. David Brenner. Uh, really, very many. Hard, hard to even think about all of them, but there, there, there are a lot of them. Yeah. Jackie Mason, Jackie Vernon, Jack, all the, a lot of Jackie's. Um, anyway, just a lot of great comedians over the years. Uh, you know, Milton Berle, Jack Benny, George Burns, all the old, really old time that your listeners won't have any idea <laughs> what I'm talking about. But they some can, of them they will. can Google them. They can Google them. They're, um, they're professors who listen. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so, yeah, I mean, Phyllis Diller is uh, Tony Fields. <laughs> There's all these incredible, most of them Jewish. Yeah. It's even Woody Allen, uh, pardon the expression, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Woody Allen actually is one of the world's greatest storytellers. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, anyway, there, there's, right. I, I, I could, you give me enough time, I could come up with <laughs> a, a couple hundred of them. Well, listen, that's a great list. You know, and I think. There's something really special to that, uh, connecting to culture through humor. Yeah. The Marx Brothers. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> That's an important one. I think, you know, you were talking about getting through hardship. That was probably something that helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always, always have maintained a sense of humor. Um, and it's a very Jewish thing, I think, I will yeah. tell you. Yeah. Um, and, Mom, I'm curious, you know, we talked about the music. Are there other aspects of Jewish culture, celebrities, food, you know, anything like that, that really connect and resonate for you? Um, well, I liked baking with home kids, like home Um, So that was always a good thing that I hope to do with this next generation of kids. Um, and... Um, maybe we'll do a sukkah another time, another year. We used to do have a sukkah. And you like that? Yeah. Um, I think it's good because you think about the next generation and you think about memory making. Yeah. Um, so well, it's important to you to pass it on. Yeah, I think so. I think so because they get a lot of other input and a lot of other religions. Um, and so it's important for us to provide that to them so they have those rituals. Yeah. What do you think is most important about passing that on to you? Um, well, that they'll have it and that they'll have some various things to remember us by. Yeah. That's powerful. That's 
it's a Jewish legacy, Jewish coping, Jewish culture. Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, thank you both so much for sharing your journeys and how you got to where you are, what makes you you, what makes your beliefs your beliefs, how they're different. Um, is there anything you'd like to add or say now? I just want to know how much you charge for the therapy <laughs> session that we've just had. But uh, it would be worth it, whatever you charge. Oh, thanks hey, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, well, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you for listening. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you.